where it says, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Um, of course, the image there being of God putting us into the crucible and forming us and fashioning us into whatever he has. And obviously the idea behind that is, God, um, I'm at your exposure and you, you do what you want. And um, not, always, not always easy, is it, to, to think in those terms, God, I surrender all. In other words, right? Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to, uh, we're going to look at, actually, um, we're going to take a step back in our study of the seven churches in Revelation. I, I, I promise you we'll get back to the next church on the list, which is actually Sardis. Um, so far, we've looked at four different churches. We've looked at Ephesus, we've looked at Smyrna, we've looked at Pergamum, and then Thyatira. And, and last week, we were going to kind of to, to work on Sardis a little bit along with those other ones, and yet it, it, it's... Uh, we ran out of time, and so we cut things a little short. But I, I, I've been wanting to do this ever since I started looking at, and since we've been spending a little bit of time in Revelation, but I wanted to do a couple things. But I, I um, for various reasons, I, I just haven't been able to do it until now, or I haven't, I've decided not to do it until now anyway. But um, I thought it would be really helpful for us to get some kind of a context for this book that we call Revelation. And some of this will probably be re... Uh, oh, I guess I would say a review for some of us. Some of it will be new. Some of it will be a mixture, maybe of both. I don't know. Or, um, but by the way, I trust that you know this. The book of Revelation, it's... it's you know, just, just so you don't drive yourselves crazy or people around you crazy, there's only one Revelation, right? We know that. You all knew that, right? There's only one Revelation, Right? It's not revelations, you know, right? There's no S on it. I hear people say that all the time. John received one revelation. There's 22 chapters of, of revealed word that was given to John one time. But, but what I want to do today is I just simply want to introduce the concept of this book. I want to, to look at that. And to do that, I want to go back to chapter 1. We'll be, we'll be actually treading a little bit of real estate that we've already covered. And, but that's okay. Um, but I want to, to look at the big picture today. Um, I mean, there's, there's very few books in the Bible more controversial than the book of Revelation. That's what really amazes me when I look at this book. Um, and what tends to happen is that, that people start reading the book of Revelation and think, man, I just, I, I want to know how this story ends. And so then they... They, they try to read the book of Revelation only to be like, well, wait a minute a second. Here, I mean, there's all these seal judgments and there's these trumpet judgments and there's these bowl judgments and, and there's some dragon trying to eat some woman's child and, uh, and, and I, I'm out. And they totally kind of give up and they get a little freaked out or, or, or maybe they just think, you know, that it's, it's too much for me. And I, I kind of get that a little bit, kind of, um, because the, the, the book of Revelation is a rather unique book. And I'm... Um, However, it does tell us the end of the story. And I think that that's really in, in, important in, in, in when, when coming and entering and looking at this book. In fact, that um, it, it tells us the end, end of the story and the fact that, there, that we're going to see all things one day brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that... And that in chaos, there is a blessed hope that we have 
of the return of Jesus. And so Revelation is a unique book. And so go to, go to the beginning, chapter 1. Let's just kind of set, up this, uh, set this up just a little bit. And we'll, go to the, we'll get to the Church of Sardis another day. This is the only t- New Testament book, by the way, with an angelic courier, with an angelic messenger. You find that in verse, verse 1. Take a, take a look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the book, the only book with an angelic messenger, very unique and distinct in the New Testament, also, interestingly enough, I think is that this is the only book that gives a blessing to those who read it and hear it and then obey it, right? You'll notice that in verse number three. We're going to kind of walk through this chapter a little bit. He says, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now, so this book has actually two words, I think or this chapter here, has two words that I think help us to help us understand ways to interpret it. Uh, uh, one of them that we saw already in verse number one is this idea of revelation. Now, the actual word there is apocalypse, and we talk about apocalyptic literature, but this is really the, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That's really what it is, literally. And we need to understand that that doesn't mean that this is, you know, some this is going to be some sort of gory Vietnam movie, you know, or or nor does it mean this idea of everything is going to be coming to an end. In fact, the word that we tra- translate apocalypse or or revelation that we see here literally means to become visible. That's what it means. This word actually means to make clear. And so some people, when they start reading the book of Revelation, assume that somehow this is really, really, really deep. Like this, you know, you know, this is only for really spiritual people. These are only for educated, you know, people with goatees or something like that. And so I'm out. I, 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 or, you know, they, I don't understand all this symbolism, they'll say. And, but the point of this book was not to confuse. The point of this book was to help us to understand, to make clear, to reveal to make visible. Now, the second word that's used here that's important is this idea of prophecy. And I, um, that word prophecy really has this idea of the utterance or an utterance that is inspired by God. Prophecy. An utterance that is, that is inspired by God. Now, I, I, I'm going to try to attempt to explain some of this. Um, and not that you can't, not that you can't understand it, but... Um, I don't always do a good job of doing it, but um, but what you see throughout the it, it, when you think about prophecy and being a, a revealed or a utterance that's inspired by God, what you see throughout the Book of Revelation, in fact, throughout the book throughout the whole Bible, is that God is revealing truth to His people. And so, like I said, you've probably heard me say this before, but prophecy is not only focused on the future. 
Oftentimes when we think about prophecy, we think it's predicting the future. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that there is no predictive element to it. Um, actually, uh, well, we'll get into that in a minute. But if you read through the Old Testament fra- prophets, one of the things that you see in prophecy is three different things. One is that God reveals truth to Israel about their past. Now, whatever that is. I mean, in other words, he looks at them and, and looks at their past actions and a- oftentimes their past indiscretions and he's, he reveals truth to that. Here's what you've done. Here's what you've been acting like. It's not to suggest that he can't look at their past and say, you've been a good boy. It just doesn't happen too often in the Old Testament. Read through the prophets. They're brutal, right? Because a lot of things were happening. There are times, I suppose, and and I'm straining my brain to try to remember a time when he said, you know what, good job. You've been suffering for doing right. doesn't happen a lot in the Old Testament. But there is that element of the past that, that happens when you look at prophecy. Um, so, so there's that. Um, the second, uh, God also reveals truth about their current, speaking of Israel in the Old Testament, also reveals truth about their current, current circumstances, which in many instances in the Old Testament shows the difference oftentimes between how the Israelites perceive themselves, and that being contrasted with how God perceives them. So in other words, many times Israel seems to kind of take for granted their relationship with God, but God sees their unfaithfulness. God sees through them and sees their duplicity. God sees all of the things that, that they're doing in order to work their way towards a relationship with him, and so on and so forth. Here's this special chosen people that God has given his love letter to, meaning the law, and they tend to seem to take for granted that relationship. So prophecy reveals truth about the past, about the present, and, and then God reveals truth about their future, not necessarily, not necessarily, again, predicting their future, but foretelling oftentimes in the Old Testament in terms of Israel, the consequences if they don't change directions and repent of, of their unfaithfulness. Um, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking in general terms here because, of course, there are times when God says, this is going to happen. And with pinpoint accuracy, exactly what God says is going to happen does. That's also prophecy. I'm just saying that, off, that a, a lot of times what we see in terms of future um, in, in terms of the um, uh, prophecy that a lot of times it's forthtelling, um, God gives a little bit of wiggle room for Israel. He says, if you stop this, this will happen. If you don't, this is going to happen. And we can see that throughout the Old Testament. So I, I'm saying that there's foretelling, but there's also, there also is an element of prediction and so on and so forth. So prophecy has these elements, past, present, future. And that's what you see when you read in, in this book of, of Revelation. And yet in the book of Revelation, God is not only aware of their past discretions, but he also sees their suffering. And, and so that, that's a kind of a new element that, that we see. Uh, we've seen in the churches that we've covered, uh, seen this in the churches we've covered so, uh, up to this point, uh, one of those churches being, that being Smyrna, is, is a church that is suffering 
because of their faith. They're suffering because they're holding on to the things of God in the midst of a culture that is just pagan, right? And God sees that and has a word of hope for them. And so this book contains prophecy. And John mentions that this prophetic word is going to be revealed very quickly, or, or, the, or the time, rather, is near. And, and so when you get to verses 4 through 6, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a Trinitarian benediction, okay? Um, you see this throughout Scripture, and, and, and this is, this is uh, especially in the New Testament. Well, you see it throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. Um, but if you glance through it, though, here's, here's what you see, verse number 4. Take a look at this. He says, John, I, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, that's modern-day Turkey, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, uh, meaning the Father, the eternal God and Father, and, and, and he says, and from the seven spirits before his throne, in other words, the fullness of the, of the Spirit of God that is before the throne, Holy Spirit, and verse number five from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all affirming now this revelation that is given to John. That's what you have here. And then he, he gives us in verses seven and following a picture of what's to come. So look at that. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. The return of Jesus is both imminent and it is physical. This is not, in other words, an establishment of some sort of a spiritual kingdom. John wants us to know right off the bat that Jesus will return and he will bear on his body the marks of his crucifixion. And so, and he is, as he said in verse 8, Number eight, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That there is the very hope that we have. It's the hope that we live under. And in verse number nine, he talks about where he is when he received this revelation. Listen to what he says. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in, Christ, in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, so John comes under persecution here. He's living in, a, in the city of Ephesus. And he's taking over the ministry that Paul and Peter had, had in, this, in that great city. And, it, you know, it's one of the primary teaching sites in the New Testament. And he is, he's sharing the gospel. He's preaching the word. And an emperor by the name of Diocletian comes to power. Now, this guy was as much of a nut job as any of the guys that you've seen in your Bibles to the point that, uh, you know, where he begins to severely persecute Christians. And notice it says that John is on this island of uh, Patmos because of two things. He's there because of the word of God, and he's there because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so the emperor, Diocletian is his name, the emperor Diocletian exiled John to the island of Patmos. He, he didn't want to make John a martyr. 
Because John was loved by a lot of people. He was, he was fairly popular. He was loved. He was beloved. He, he didn't want to make John a martyr. He exiled him because he's teaching the Bible and he's telling his story about salvation in Jesus Christ. And so John is sent now into exile and in verse number 10 he's experiencing a moment with the Lord. His way of putting it was, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a voice, that, you know, a, a loud voice like a trumpet. John's worshiping. Worshiping God. He's celebrating Christ and he, he hears behind him this this loud voice that sounds like a trumpet. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was a trumpet. It's, it's, it's like a trumpet. But it's, it's loud enough that it scares the, the, the tar out of him, right? And this voice that sort of echoes out behind him says, I want you to write down on a scroll what you see. And that, by the way, is one of the 12 times throughout the whole book where he's going to record what he sees. But I want you to notice something. John, as you know, lives in the first century. Revelation was written early 90s A.D., as some have suggested possibly up to 110, but uh, you know, I think the early 90s is probably a good, a good uh, date for that. John is, John is this first century guy who's trying to, to describe what he sees using language that he understands. So he's, he's seeing pictures of what is to come, and he's like running out of words. And, and so he's doing the best that he can to describe the to, to you and me, to describe the, the awesomeness that he is seeing. And in verse number 11, he's told to write on the scroll the things that he sees and, and, and then to send it to the seven churches. These, these seven churches, by the way, and just a little background on that just so we understand that. And as I, as I mentioned before, I think in, in previous weeks that, you know, I, I know that there's seven churches and they, they probably represent all of the churches, but I think that specifically these seven churches are sig- very significant churches. They're, they're, they're seven churches in Asian Minor, as I said, modern-day Turkey, and they're on the postal route. It was how these letters were circulated. And so John was supposed to write it down and then pass it on to all these churches. So this wasn't one of the seven. It, was, it, was, it wasn't to one of the seven. It was actually to all of them. These letters, which is, which is fairly true of even the Apostle Paul's letters, when you start looking at it, Paul say when he's talking to Philemon in, in some places, he'll say, I want you to share this letter from, that I'm writing to you, Philemon, uh, with the church at Colossae. And, 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 and so think in terms of there's this, there's this postal route and they share all these things and people learn from, from these other churches and so on. And John is supposed to write it down and then pass it on to all the churches. So the hope was that these churches on this postal route would not only get the memo, but, they would, but that they would also forward the email, right? that makes sense? And so he's going to write down what he sees and send them to these churches and he turns around in verse 12 to see what it, it, it was that made him the, that noise that scared the snot out of him and this is what he says I turned around to see the voice that was spreading to, that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest his head and his hair were like white like wool 
as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of the rushing water. Now, this is the area that we've kind of looked at before. I mean, we talked about that one of the first weeks. We talked about the images or the portraits that we have of Jesus throughout the book of Revelation, and I, I pointed out three different ones. But, and if you remember, uh, when we cover this, it, we, we recognize that right away, what John is really describing here is that he is describing Jesus as this great high priest. That's really the image here. But I want you to notice something, so I don't want you to forget about what we've kind of already talked about with that. I'm not going to get into it here again, but, but I want you to notice something here. Um, he, the, 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 uh, he's, he's again describing what he's seeing He's looking at deity. He's looking at Jesus. I mean, how do you describe Jesus in all his glory? How do you describe this, uh, this picture this, of Jesus in, as this great high priest? And, but, but remember back in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus is transfigured on the, on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration? Um, the text says that his face shone like the sun and that his clothes were as light, white as the light. In Matthew 17. And the disciples are like, whoa, what's happening here? Right? They see his glory. In his right hand, it says in verse number 16 of Revelation chapter 1, it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. It's just one of my favorite images in all of the Bible. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this sword, this word here, it's 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 like a six foot to use a, a movie uh, image for you. It's like a six foot Braveheart sword coming. It says from his mouth. <laughs> Anybody seen Braveheart? Yeah, pretty tough movie, right? Um, but of course, we remember what that double edged sword stands for, right? As we said, I think we talked about that earlier. So in the gospel of the, uh, of the kingdom, which, by the way, uh, it's the gospel of the kingdom, which, by the way, is a double-edged sword because it's not only gives us, uh, it's not only a word of salvation for God's people, but it's also a word of condemnation for God's enemies. But John, John calls Jesus the word of God. He's the very embodiment of God's spoken will. And I mean, to be standing in the presence of that and to see that in all of it, see him in all of his glory. Um, John, in his image, sees this double-edged sword, though, coming out of Jesus' mouth. And he says his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So just stop at that for, just, just take a time out for a second. If, if you heard a voice that sounded like to you like the call of Reveille on, on the trumpet, and you turn around behind you and you saw that, what would your response be? <laughs> yeah, because if you look at the next verse, verse number 17, I, I, I think you might respond just like John does. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I imagined very much so that that's a lot of what it's going to be like when we see God on the day of judgment. 
whether we are saved and will not have to go through that judgment, you know, where God will say, you know what, your sins are forgiven and you're, you're one of them, or Jesus, our, our, our defense attorney, is going to say, he's one of mine, saved by my blood, or whether we're on the other side. I imagine we're just going to drop to our knees and go, Right? How do you look at, we have no, do you know, what, you know what it's like to be in the presence? We've been singing about holiness today. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of holiness? Show of hands, seriously. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of holiness? We know what's holy. We know what's good. We know what's pure, Right? Even if it's close, I'm not saying even, I'm not saying the most pure, I'm not talking about even, we know what goodness is, right? We know the difference between goodness and evil, right? And if you were living in a world of evil and that's all there is and you suddenly saw goodness, how would, how would you respond to that? Right? It's overwhelming um, when you see that. Um, but, Anyway, he says, when I saw my fellow at his feet, though dead. I, I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees this image of the throne room of God, and he says, whoa, it's me, I'm a dead man, you know. J- just like this here. He says, I'm ruined. That's the words of the text. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and he's, and he's not like me. This image, that, this God, this, this God in the temple image is like, whoa. And that's exactly what John sees. And in, this, in the awesomeness of, of seeing holiness, depravity is exposed. All of his, all of his humanity face to face with deity. John falls down on his, on his face. He, then, he, then he placed his right hand on me, it says. That's the kindness of God, or the kindness of Jesus in that moment, right? And he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the key of death and Hades. What an image. Powerful, powerful moment in this book. And then in verse number 19, you get the outline of this book. He says, I want you to write down three very specific things. I want you to write down first the things that you have seen. That's chapter 1. I want you to write down the things which are currently... That's chapters 2 and 3. Think prophecy again. And then he says, I want you to write down the things which will take place after these things. That's chapters 4 through 22. Now let me, let me just tell you that that's really a simple, simple outline. Because let me just tell you this really quick. A couple things to keep in mind here. One is... That doesn't mean that there's not any past in, in chapters 4 through 22, that there's not some past. So, for example, um, Revelation chapter 12, most scholars, most people, I have not read too many that don't believe this, believe that the dragon and, and, and that's after the baby's child, the baby's child, that didn't make sense, after the woman's child, most people believe that that, at the, that, that comes at least... Uh, there, there may be some, some debate about what happened before that, but at the very least that it happens when Jesus is crucified, that that's when Satan is kicked out of heaven, or it could have happened before. The whole point is that Satan is limited. 
It's this idea of Jesus or, Lucifer, or uh, Michael, the archangel, kicking Satan out and down to the earth and so on and so forth. But the point is, I think, or at least what I understand that pas- from that passage is that, that uh, from that point on, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I think is the focal point, from that point on, Satan's power is very limited. We're not getting into chapter 12 right now, but that's, that's the point of that. Um, so in other words, so what I'm saying is, is that just because, generally speaking, we're looking into the future in terms of prophecy, that doesn't mean that there's not some past elements in the next several chapters. Um, that's really an oversimplification of things. But the other thing I would suggest is this. In chapters 4 through 22, just because it's future doesn't mean that it's distant future. Most people can automatically assume that the book of Revelation is only about the very end. And they miss the things that are going up. In fact, uh, a lot of the, the judgment scenes and things like that, and you see them as like, how long, O oh Lord? And what the suggestion is that a lot of this is happening during the time of John. And then futuristically, it's, it's like they're going to have to hang on for a little bit longer. But eventually, God will prevail. And there, don't get me wrong, there's, there's all, all of that in here, and I don't want to make it confusing, but generally speaking, think of future. Don't always think that it's, we're, we're bring, bringing ourselves right to the very end. But anyway, he's going to write in symbols, and if you, if you look closely at the book, you'll see something, something confusing like, like and, and we've already gone through this a little bit, but I'm going to mention it again, seven stars, seven lampstands, like, you know, people kind of look at that, and I was, oh, I'm already lost, and, and just... If, if you missed it the first time, let me just say, be patient as you're reading through. Because if, if, you, if you keep reading, John will then... Uh, well, just remember that John wants us to understand this book. That Jesus wants us to understand the book. Because if you understand it, then there's a blessing for those who hear it. Not only hear it, but also believe it and, and obey it. And so if you'll notice, verse number 20... It says this, it says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he, already, so he breaks it down. So, that we under, so we understand going in what this is about. That's what he does. So right off the bat. And I think that, that if we just be patient instead of trying to get um, ahead of ourselves or getting scared, I think it's... Again, I just I, I can't say it strongly enough. Revelation is supposed to reveal truth, not cover it up and make us scared and everything else. This was a powerful, powerful book. And, the, and John's audience would have been amazed. They would have been holding on to this as a future hope, not sh- shaking in their boots. They would have seen this as a word of hope. For their situation. Um, So the question I want to ask and answer now is this. Why should we in 2022 spend time digging through a letter written by Jesus to a first century church that's located about 7,000 miles away from here? I mean, like what's the point? So listen really closely, because what happens when we read the Word of God, and this is really, 
it, it's my answer to why do we why do we listen to preaching? What, what's the purpose of preaching? What's the purpose of worship? What's the purpose of the things that we do here to, in in any given Sunday? You know what happens when we read the Word of God is the Word of God is indeed like a mirror. Isn't that what Paul says in in Corinthians? The word of God is like a mirror and it reflects back upon us and it affirms in us that which is in our life and therefore obedient to the word of God, right? We look in the mirror and we see a reflection thereof and it's, it's, we try to, we look at that reflection in the mirror and, 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 and there's either a comparison or a contrast of what what we see in the Word. Is there an exact image or are we completely opposite of what we see? Um, because it also exposes that which is in our life and is, de- is disobedient to the Word of God. So it, the Word of God is like a mirror. And we get the privilege, you and I get the privilege of learning from these churches that have gone before, uh, from men and women who have gone before us. Uh, I'm talking about seven churches to this eight, to eight in, in, in Asia. And the goal is for you and I to be able to enter into this, these texts and look for similarities and look for contrasts. That's true of all of Scripture. We look at the Scripture and we say, how does my life resemble or not resemble what I'm reading? And then we make the appropriate decisions in our lives to to model more of what Scripture says than rather than on what the world says. So uh, let me just give you an example. If I wanted to tell you about Viroqua today, you're a newcomer to Viroqua, and, and, and I, if I just tried to just explain to you about Viroqua and, and, and talk about what's happening today in this community, one of the things, if, if that's all I did, is I focused on today, what you see right now. One of the things that would be missing is the history of, well, I mean, how did I get, how did we get here, right? How did you get here? Like, for example, I, I would want to talk about how this community has grown from, you know, I don't know if you have to go all the way back, but, but I think some of those... Excuse me. Some of those roots are really, really important and are really, really invaluable. I would, I would want to talk to you about some of the challenges that have taken place in in this community and some of the changes that have been made and how that's how that's that's influenced the way that our community has has grown or not grown or or, or the difficulties we met. If I begin to tell you um, about what's happening now in Viroqua. One of the pieces that is missing is the history behind it. How did we get where we are today? Um, but the more we understand the history of what has shaped Viroqua, the more, the, the more when you look at it today, you begin to understand how we got here. And so understanding our, somebody mentioned this morning, our agricultural roots, right? That would help us, don't you think? Under, you know, maybe understanding the, the Waldorf community beginnings, because that has kind of changed and shaped our community. 
Uh, maybe some of the challenges of being a smaller community that, that isn't really in close proximity to some of the larger cities. What kind of an influence do some of the larger cities have on these rural areas, especially a rural area like this? Uh, something I also was thinking, you know, the whole, the whole idea of the, um, oh, what do they call that? The, um, uh, with, the, with all the hills and the, uh, the driftless region, all of that, and how, how settlements have, have, have worked with that. Um, I, I think understanding the churches in this uh, the many churches in this community uh, is is important, and and how they've shaped the the community, or even understanding the Norwegian roots and how that has impacted the community. Has that ever? Have you ever thought about that as much? Maybe more so in Westby, but man, there's a lot of that here in in in, in Baroqua. I, I think understanding some of the history of our community would would highlight a history of this community being more blue-collar kind of people. But it might also highlight our differences with some of the bigger communities in the county and maybe a desire to have some of the modern conveniences that they have, how, how that has impacted this community. All of that history, all of that helps us to understand the present. So here's my point. As we read the book of, of Revelation... And we study the seven churches of Revelation as we've been doing. We want to understand some of the backstory of what's taking place in the history of these cities. So that when we read the letter, we go, oh, that's what he's trying to say. Because it's pretty valuable. When you understand some of the historical context, you go, oh, I, now I see what he's trying to say. And, and, and so that's what we've tried to do so far. We've tried to, we've looked at Ephesus, this, this hard-working church that was intolerant of false teaching in the church. God gives them some, some real great encouragement. They, they had undergone a lot of hardship, Ephesus. And yet their affection for Jesus has grown cold, right? They're a hard-working church. They're intolerant of, of, of false teaching in the church. They're, they're going through a lot of hardship, and yet... Yeah, they're hardworking, and yet their, their affections for Jesus have grown cold. Possibly due to all of the pagan temples throughout the city. And so we won't rehash all of that history, but, but that's so valuable to understand the circumstances in which they live. We talked about Smyrna, the only church that Jesus doesn't criticize uh, um, so far. But he understands their suffering in the midst of a city that is, that, is, that is fully devoted to Rome, right? And like Ephesus was also filled with many pagan temples. But what really made it hard for the church at Smyrna was that they were targeted not only by, the Rome, by, by, by their divided loyalties, but they were targeted by the Jews, as, as a result, they, they lost their exemption from, ha, uh, from having to worship the emperor cult. Remember, we talked about the Jews. They said that the Jews wanted to make a distinction. The Jews had an extinction, or they had a, 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 an exemption from having to worship the emperor cult. That goes back to the second century, third century BC, where 
they fought him tooth and nail, and the, and, and the powers that be just basically said, you know what, I don't want to mess with these guys anymore. Okay, have, as long as you keep the peace, you're fine. Just don't, you don't have to worship the emperor if that's not what, just don't create any problems, then we're going to have a problem. And for the longest time, throughout the New Testament, we see that. In all of Paul's letters, we see that relative peace, because when the Romans looked at the Jews, or looked at the Christians, they didn't see any difference between them and the, and the Jews. But the Jews all of a sudden turn around and by the time Revelation comes along and they say, they're not like us. We don't know who these guys are. They, yeah, they may be Jews, but they're not Jewish. I think I said that right. And so there's that persecution. As a result, they lost that exemption. But they refused to worship the emperor cult, and so they were persecuted for it. Last week, we, we looked at Pergamum, Pergamum and Thyatira, two churches who, who compromised when it came to false teaching, and began, they began to rationalize sin. Thyatira, if you remember, had a lot of manufacturing uh, in those times, so we went into some of the history of that. It was a city of industry. Uh, these manufacturers that were part of that city, they had unions, or what, I, what we call trade guilds, and so if you wanted to be a part uh, of, well, if you wanted to make a good living, you would join the guild for that industry. Unfortunately, being a part of that trade grill, guild required doing some things that would have been not only questionable, but outright, downright um, wrong and compromising for those who are people of Christian, uh, who are Christians, right? Like, tell me we haven't gotten into that in America, Right? You're part of an organization, and all of a sudden they they have what? Um, there's certain things that you don't agree with, but what do we do? We kind of just shove it under the rug. Well, that's not matter because this makes this this gets me what I want to have. Compromise. So anyway, let me come back to what I said before. When we read the Word of God, the Word of God is like a mirror. And it, it, it really helps us to understand the kind of lives that we ought to be living. And the point is, the book of Revelation is a book for today. It brings us, it, brings us, uh, it, it challenges us to live in the midst of a culture that has different values than we do. And um, I think that the application of that is, as we look at this, is... You know, I, I think that anyone. I, I think the Revelation is a timeless book, but the the similarities between that culture in the first centuries and what we're seeing today in the twenty second century or in the twenty first century, two thousand twenty two, we all see it, don't we? Now that's probably been repeated several times. But the temptation is always there to compromise. The temptation is always there to fear. The temptation is always there to hold back, to, to not, to look the other way so that we don't have to suffer. And so Jesus writes to some of these churches, and there's the context behind a lot of them, but understanding those individual backgrounds is so valuable. Because if we don't, it's hard to, by understanding that, we need to be able to see how we can, how we can apply it then to our lives for today. The question is, 
I think, and this is what I want to close with, is who do we want to serve? That's really what it comes down to. Who, are, who, is, who has our loyalties? Who has our focus? And Jesus says that he wants that to be him. As we prepare to take communion this morning, we, we know what it was like for Jesus. He didn't, he didn't uh, walk away from the task that he had at hand. Um, when he was humiliated and, and, and beaten and, and uh, mocked and, and so forth, he willingly went to the cross and he died for our sins in spite of what was being forced at him. And uh, no compromise there. Obedient to God the Father um, right up to the very end. We celebrate today because Jesus is no longer in the grave. We celebrate because he has resurrected. That's the core of the, of the gospel. And so uh, just reflect upon that as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this meal that reminds us of who you are and what you've done and who we are and what we have to look forward to. So I pray that you would uh, instill in us a, a desire for your word to look at that. And as we look at it that in the, the reflection that we see, that we would see more um, of the person of Jesus than, than we see of the world as we look at our reflection in, in your mirror, the mirror of the word of God. God, we thank you for this meal. We ask that you bless each person that partakes of these, of these uh, emblems, um, the cup and the loaf. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare 
You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. In your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our heart long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. There's nothing worth more. That will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free. And my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Father, it is amazing. And sometimes overwhelming. It's amazing and overwhelming to be in your presence. Just being in your presence exposes all of our faults and our areas that we fall short. But being in your presence also reminds us of who you are and what you've done for each and every one of us. And we see the reflection of Jesus because of our lives as we've lived them and seeking out your face and seeking out your pleasure. God, I just thank you for another opportunity that we could come here and just experience that and to, to recognize where our true hope lies. 
Father, I pray as we leave this place this week that, that you will remind us of who we belong to and create in us an ever more desire to, to spend time in your word and, and allow it to, to shine into our lives and to not only give us a reflection of who Jesus is, but that we would, that people would see that through our lives as well. Father, thank you for your awesomeness, your amazing ability to, to, to change lives in such incredible ways. And we, we leave this place trusting you, hoping in you, relying upon you as our Lord and our Savior. Dismiss us with our, your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, two before we do close. What? I, I just think we should sing happy birthday. There's an awful lot of people that had birthdays this last few days or month. So. Susan, there's Judy, and there's Ed, and there's Susan. Yeah, Ed, he, he stays young. So, yeah, that was my plan. Um, before we close, I lost everybody. So, yes, I have plans of that. So we'll find that out in a sec. Before we close, did what we shared this morning, did that confuse us worse or does it make it more plain? Just quickly. Uh, as, far as, as far as when we, we give that background of revelation and so on and so forth, does it make us more confused? Or is it help, helpful? Okay. Anybody else feel different? <laughs> It's easy to go with, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's the answer I want, you know, but. Um, so anyway, huh? I knew that. Oh, you knew that. Okay, so um, birthday. So I know that Susan's is, was yesterday, and Judy's was the day before. Ed's is was Oh, you have Bert, Susan's birthday. And who else over here? And John Wagner's is coming Who? Frank is gone. Frank's birthday is when? It was the 11th. The 11th. Oh, that's too long ago. But John's is We don't need to go back. John's is coming up when? Wednesday. Wednesday. Well, that's a lot of... Yeah. And Wednesday is what date? 27th. That's my mom's birthday. Yep. It's on the 27th. So... There's a lot of... My personal belief is that September is a better month. That's my no, personal April belief. August is. August is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um... Happy birthday, God bless you, is what we'll sing, okay? So, because we have two, a lot of people, so. Anybody else have a birthday that, that we don't know about? Sherry? No. <laughs> Joe? No, yours is, was August. Okay, here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you, Susan and Judy and Ed and all the rest of them. Happy birthday to you and John. Right. Next um, week. Next week, we're not going to be here. I, we've told you this before, but uh, so we've got some things planned, like very similar to what we did last time. It's going to be good. You don't want to miss it. Was it good last time? Mark, Mark. <clears throat> Can't tell you. 
It's a secret. You will be happy. Um, so anyway, please come and and uh, um, so. But anyway, it, it, you'll 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 enjoy it. So yes, but we won't be here because we're Susan has a party. We're going to be away on the other side of Minnesota, and so it's just hard to when all those festivities or that party or that re- retreat, retreat gets over. Um, it'll be a little hard to get to drive all the way back home. So anyway, but we'll be around this week until Wednesday. Questions? Other thoughts? Um, I see that Charlotte's not moving back now. No, she's planning on to. So they don't have space yet for her. Oh. So they're looking. They're looking for a place. And I talked with her daughter, and and her daughter's like, "Yeah, we're." See what they did is they took Charlotte out of. They called on a Friday and said, um, "We're going to give up a room." By Monday, West West Salem said, "You know what? We're going to release her real soon." And I think it was on like Tuesday they called back and said, "Oh, we really want the room anyway." And they said, "Sorry, it's taken." <laughs> that was like three weeks ago. Or so, whatever, so I don't I don't know all the exact timelines, but I know it happened rather quickly, and that was yeah, several about three weeks ago. So, and she's in really really good, in a good place. Um, so, a lot has changed. Um, she knew me. She knew my kids' names, Susan. There's one time that she didn't know me, but but she knew all that. She remembered a lot of different things, and 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 she's not. She still has some some memory issues, but but she's doing very very well. And really good spirits has been treating the residents well, and so on and so forth. So um, it's a good thing. Other things? Um, maybe uh, I didn't uh, think to put it in the bulletin, but. Um Vicki Moore is, is visiting her daughter in North Carolina. So, okay. So that's yeah. why she wasn't here today. Prayers for safe travels for Vicki as she goes uh, over there. Well, she's over there, but uh, in her travels. Last revival meeting tonight. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. I want to mention Tonight, and, and uh, I didn't go yesterday, but the day before that, we were able to go and uh, just encourage you to just show up over there at 630 at night over at the tent revival and, and listen to uh, a time of worship and a time of, um, of preaching, and it's good stuff. So that's going on tonight. Tonight's the last night. So I didn't catch what happened last night. I know that... Uh, it was in the... Vicky said it was, it was in the gym. Yes, I knew it was going to be in the gym. They said that it, it, that would be there. Do you went? Yeah. Okay. Was it pretty good? Yeah. Good. Good turnout. I mean, I, I my expectations it should be full. You know, yeah. so it wasn't totally full. Okay. I know the first night it was pretty. It was pretty full and in the tent. So, all right. Hey, have a great week, and we'll see you in a. If not before, we'll see you in a couple weeks. How much, how much, how much do we?